And good morning again. Good to see everybody out this morning. Again, good to have everybody here with us, and certainly a pleasure to be here with you. Let's see, this morning, Lisa and Ernie have Children's Church, so 12 and under want to head over for that. Uh, 12 and under over for Children's Church. 360, Why Do You Wait, will be our hymn of invitation this morning. So if you want to go ahead and mark that in your hymnals. Looking group heading over for that. 360, why do you wait? Uh, good to have Doug Martin. Many of us uh, here know Doug. Some of our newer people may not know Doug, so I'll give you just a little, a little short brief introduction, then I'll let him uh, reveal anything that he wants you to know from there on. Uh, Doug uh, grew up in this community, Kiwi, went to church here as a young man, and uh, was off to Bible school at Kentucky uh, CCC at the time, or KCC at the time, it's now KCU, and uh, he has served uh, various ministerial positions uh, since graduation and uh, used his life to honorably to serve the Lord. And he works with KCU now, and uh, I'm happy to have him here with us. Just a little teaser again, just to remind you that Doug will be back in September at our homecoming and he'll be uh, holding that uh, revival that week so uh, look forward to that as well so i won't i won't say anymore i'll let doug get on up here and get his uh, get his uh, work in and uh, just help me to welcome uh, mr doug martin with kentucky christian university good morning it is uh it's good to be back home it was 37 years ago when I left Kiwi uh, to go off to college, and what little did I know, never to return again as far as living in Kiwi. But I have done my best to promote Kiwi everywhere I've been, as I've been sure to tell people uh, that are uneducated that Kiwi is the center of the universe. And, uh, and so the churches I've served, when I mention Kiwi, uh, they know that it's the center of the universe before I even remind them. Uh, because I've shared that with them so often. Uh, so let me kind of, well, first of all, I want to say this. Thank you. Uh, this congregation uh, blessed me in a season in my life, um, and you're probably, most of you aren't aware of this. Um, so I started coming, coming to church here as a teenager by myself. Uh, my, the rest of my family went to a church in another location, and I started coming here regularly as a teenager uh, the reason that I came is because you had softball and basketball teams and there were girls that went to church here. <laughs> Just want to be honest. Uh, I sat right back there in those last three rows and one of those last three rows every Sunday. The reason I was here every Sunday is because you had to be here three out of four services in order to play on the softball and basketball teams. And Elmer Lanham made sure you were here or not. He took row. And uh, so I started coming to church here as a teenager and soon found this to be my spiritual home, even though at times during that season I wasn't all that spiritual. I came to play ball, but as I kept coming, I got more than I bargained for. And uh, I began to fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus. Much to my surprise and the surprise of many who knew me at that time, uh, after my graduation from Laurel County High School in 1986 that summer, I made a commitment to go into uh, Christian ministry. Uh, that snuck up on, on me. I wasn't anticipating that, but this church had a lot to do with that call to ministry. 
um, I decided to go Kentucky Christian College, as it was called back in the day, and I started there in the fall of 86, and while I was a student there, I squeezed my four-year degree into five. It took me five to get through. Uh, while I was a student there, uh, Locust Grove supported me. You sent money uh, every month toward my school bill. Uh, you sent stuff to me as a student. Uh, in, uh, in May of 1987, I stood right here and uh, married my best friend, Jill. Uh, many of you know Jill, and I want to kind of share a little bit with what's going on with her right now. Uh, we got married in 87, and then after that, you guys started sending care packages to us. In fact, I think one year, you sent us a Thanksgiving dinner in a box that you, you sent all, all we needed for Thanksgiving that year. Uh, you have loved on us and cared for us several times as I was a student uh, at KCC. Uh, men from this congregation would shake my hand, and when I would look in my hand, there would be money there. Um, and I can't say thank you enough for how you supported me. And I am so happy, even though I've not been around much in the last 37 years, I am so happy to call you my home church. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to this fall. I, I, I could ramble on, uh, and, and uh, I'll save some of the rambling for when I'm with you this fall. Uh, but, but I just want to say thank you for your support. And, uh, and, and so let me kind of catch you up really quick, as fast as I can, on what's been going on the last 37 years. Um, so I went to college, graduated in 91, uh, left there and went to Hazard, Kentucky to start a church. Spent a year in Hazard, Kentucky. The church plant failed. Everything we did didn't work. And uh, so I, I, I left a failed church plant in, in 92 and I moved to Knox County, Kentucky and I became the preacher at the Artemis Christian Church. And I preached there for five years. Uh, in 1997, I was, I was called to go back into church planting I moved to Spencer County, Kentucky, which is just a, a bedroom community outside of Louisville. Uh, in fact, if Louisville was a clock, Spencer County sits about four o'clock on the clock, just outside southeast of Louisville itself. And I uh, went to work with a group there called the Salt River Men's Fellowship. And uh, we planted together the, the Spencer Christian Church. When they were interviewing me for that job, what, what, what qualifies you to come here and plant a church here? I told them that I tried it once and I know how not to start a new church. And so, uh, they must have been desperate because they hired me. And uh, in 97, uh, we planted Spencer Christian Church. Uh, five years, God blessed the church. Uh, we were completely self-supporting uh, in our own facility. Uh, we were able to build a building in that time. And, uh, and I left a really good situation to start a church planting ministry called Kentucky Church Planting Partnership that I worked with for 10 years. Uh, while doing that, uh, four of those uh, years that I was doing that ministry, I worked at 17th Street Christian Church. They allowed me to be the leader of the church planning ministry and be their preacher down there and did that for four years. And then in 2010, uh, I moved back to Spencer County and went back as the uh, preacher at Spencer Christian Church and uh, did that combining the two times for a total of 18 years. And, uh, and then in January this year, y'all don't care about all this, but I'm telling you, in January this year, uh, I went to work at Kentucky Christian University. I'm the director of of uh, church relations and alumni. So I get to travel to churches every weekend and share about the ministry of KCU and, uh, and, and, just, uh, and just share with churches about what's going on. I get to work with preachers, encouraging them, and I also get to work with our alumni. Uh, one of the reasons that I switched out of uh, pulpit ministry and began working for the school, and I don't know if you guys are aware of this or not, but my wife, uh, my wife uh, is, was diagnosed almost two years ago 
with a disease called frontal temporal dementia. Um, the actor Bruce Willis uh, was recently diagnosed with the same disease. Um, we've been dealing with this for about four and a half years, but it took two and a half years to get a diagnosis. Uh, it is a progressive disease. Um, life expectancy is about seven years on average from onset of symptoms. We feel like we're about mid-disease. Uh, Jill, um, it, it affects the, the frontal and the temporal lobe, so it affects uh, executive functions, personality, decision-making, and speech. And uh, so Jill uh, is in a place now where she's on the level of about a five or six-year-old kid with her decision-making and things of that nature, and her speech is pretty limited. Um, although she can still read anything, and if she reads it, she can say it. And, uh, but if she's constructing sentences, she's, she's coming up with about 25 words and pretty much two or three sentences. Is, is, if she's putting the sentences together or what we hear, she'll eventually lose that as we move forward with the disease. And so it was difficult for me to be in a lead role where I was at Spencer Christian and be the leader and lead caregiver for my wife. And so uh, God provided the opportunity for me to go to work for the school which has worked out wonderful. So I ask that you, if you would, ask, add Jill to your prayer list. Uh, pray for her. Listen, the, the, the beautiful thing about this is um, a lot of people who have this disease are frustrated because it's a frustrating disease when your brain begins to shut down and you can't do the things that you know you can do. Um, and so a lot of people are extremely frustrated with this disease, but that's not Jill's case. Uh, she greets every day with a smile and she greets everybody she sees with a smile. And her favorite word, the word that she uses about 70% of the time, it, it makes up about 70% of her vocabulary, is the word impressed. So if she sees you, she will tell you, I'm impressed with you. And she means that, she means that. But it is kind of odd when she walks up to a stranger and she says that and I have to come in and say, okay, let me explain to you what she means. Uh, when she says that. So uh, so obviously Jill couldn't be with me today. It's hard uh, for just me and her to go places. And so uh, we have three adult kids. Uh, our oldest daughter, uh, Hannah, is 32. Wow. I have a hard time just saying that. Uh, she's 32, and uh, she lives in Taylorsville, Kentucky. She works in the school system there. Uh, our son Jesse is 30. He actually preaches at the Artemis Christian Church where I preached at years ago when Jesse was born. And so he's the preacher there and his wife, he and his wife Jen are there. And then our youngest girl, uh, Bethany, is 27. And she and her husband, John Darrell, live in uh, Shelbyville, Kentucky. And she teaches in Henry County, Kentucky. And her husband, John Darrell, is a fireman in Louisville. So that's a little bit about what's going on in our life. Uh, I'm so glad to get to share with you guys a little bit today about Kentucky Christian University. But I'm just going to be honest, uh, I'm a preacher. And so I'm going to share with you a message, and I hope to be able to include some stuff about the school uh, so that you know a little bit more about what's going on with uh, Kentucky Christian University. Uh, the school was founded 104 years ago, uh, and it was called Christian Normal Institute. Because when it was founded, it was, it was designed as a school to train teachers, which back in 100 years ago, teachers went to normal schools and got a teaching certificate. That's how, uh, that's how teaching was done back in that day. And the school was founded to train teachers and preachers. Uh, at the end of World War II in 1944, uh, near the ending of, the, of, of, of World War II, uh, they decided to make a change to the name of the school. They called it Kentucky Christian College. 
which is what it, which is what it was for several years. It's what it was called when I w went to school there in the mid '80s. And then in 2004, uh, we shifted gears and changed the name to Kentucky Christian University. And that's because that suited the model that we were using at the school. Our school is made up of several different schools. That's why it's called a university. Uh, the school that I'm fondest about at Kentucky Christian University is the school, the Kiran School of Bible and Ministry. We had uh, 78 students in that program a year ago. Uh, one of the things we're trying to do is we're, we're trying to train uh, men and women to go serve in ministry, uh, train men to be preachers uh, and to serve in different areas of ministry because in the day we live in now, we need more preachers than we have ever needed preachers. I believe that at least in my lifetime, it's darker now than it's ever been in the world that we live in. And so we're also training, uh, we, we want students to come to Kentucky Christian University, even if they're not on a ministry track, we wanna do what we can to prepare them to be Christian leaders in the, the marketplace, in the workplace, in the schoolrooms, in the boardrooms, and, and on the mission field, because everywhere we go is a mission field. And so our goal as an institution is to help train young men and women to be leaders for Jesus in the next generation, to shine the light for Jesus in this dark world that we live in. Uh, so people ask, what can we do to help the school? There's three things I often share with folks that you can do to help KCU. First of all, uh, pray for us. If we're not on your prayer list, we would love to be on your prayer list, that you pray that God would bless the school and, and our efforts towards training men and women uh, to make a difference for Jesus in the world. Uh, so pray for us. I, I believe God does great things built on a foundation of prayer. And uh, people have been praying for the school for a long time, and the fruit that the school has produced is because of the prayers of the saints. So pray for us. Second thing you can do is we financial support. It just takes money to advance the institution and, and we partner with churches and individual Christians. And, and if you'd love to do that, just get connected with me and I'll share with you how you can do that. Uh, I believe it would be a kingdom investment. The third thing uh, that we ask is uh, send us your students. We have several schools at the school at, at, at the university. We're not a major university, so we don't have all the schools in the world, but you may find that some of your students would want to be involved in one of the schools that we have at KCU. We would love to be able to partner with you, uh, with your young people. Uh, the, the church here has sent people to a Christian college before. I'm one of those uh, who, have, who has been there. And, uh, and if you're not currently praying that God would raise up Timothy's uh, yeah, Timothy is a, is a church word we use for, for people that come up to go into ministry, that God will raise up Timothy's from Kiwi, from Locust Grove, uh, then I encourage you to start praying that. Uh, obviously, somebody was praying that back in the 80s, you know, and uh, not just me. I know Tommy Lanham. Tommy went to, the, he went to Johnson. Okay, we'll forgive him for that. But, but, uh, but, but, but you see what I'm saying? Pray that God will, will, will use your congregation here to help raise up the next generation of Christian leaders. And we would love to partner with you if you send them our way to help prepare them to be uh, kingdom workers and world changers. So, uh, so I encourage you and ask that you would do that. So grab your Bible. I told you we're going to preach. Uh, I'm going to preach. Uh, grab your Bible, open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. I, I want to share with you a message that I get to share when I go to churches uh, about just a simple truth that if we can apply these two verses we find in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14, if we can apply these two verses, I do believe we can be the light 
that God is calling us to be in this dark world that we live in. So I want to share with you what the Apostle Paul says. Now, 1 Corinthians is one of two letters we have recorded in the New Testament that Paul writes to the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians is uh, the longer of the two, and, it, and the reason it's the longer of the two is because 1 Corinthians, for all purposes, is a disciplinary letter. Now, maybe you've received a disciplinary letter at one point in your life or another. I know that I've received a couple when I was a student in school. Things that were they telling you, you got to straighten up and fly right. That's what a disciplinary letter is all about, right? You need to straighten up and fly right. The church at Corinth was having several problems, and Paul systematically works through those problems throughout the book. But here in the last chapter, he's encouraging the church. Now, 2 Corinthians is, is not a disciplinary letter. It's a letter of restoration. Uh, they've made the corrections that Paul writes to them about in 1 Corinthians, and now he's telling them, you know, restore one another, move forward in grace and in ministry. But at the very end of chapter, uh, of chapter I'm sorry, at the very end of the book in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, there's two little verses here that I think if we can apply will go a long way for us being faithful followers of Jesus and making a difference for him in the place that we live. He simply says this, Paul writes this, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Now there's a lot here to unpack, so let's take just a few minutes to do that. The first thing he says, he says, be on your guard. It's important for us to recognize that as Christ followers, as Christians, we do need to be on our guard. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. You know this verse. Peter says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We need to be on our guard because we have an enemy who's always working. Your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion. He's looking for someone to devour. The, the devil is always working. And, and you've got to understand something. Uh, the, the devil hates you. Uh, this world doesn't believe that. This world doesn't teach that. But the truth of the matter is Satan, Satan hates us. He hates you. He hates the people you love. He hates your children, your grandchildren. He hates your neighbors. He hates your co-workers. He hates the people who live in this community, the people who drive by this church. He hates all of us. Now, here's what the devil's goal is for you and me. What the devil wants from you and from me is for us to be six feet in the ground, covered up with dirt, without a right relationship with Jesus in our hearts. That's his goal. That's, and he's always working towards that goal. Peter says he's prowling around looking for someone to devour. And so we must be on guard, knowing that the enemy is always working. Remember Jesus' words to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he was betrayed and arrested. He says, watch and pray. We've got to be alert to, to recognize that the enemy is working hard. We have to pay attention. It's important that we pay attention to this changing culture that we live in. You see, the church is no longer the home team. Now, let me explain what I mean. You know this, but let me explain it. The church is no longer the home team. There was a day and an age, and going back to when I was growing up in this church, there was a day and an age when the church was, was, was seen with some respect even by those who didn't attend church. 
those who worked in ministry were seen with respect, even by those who didn't really believe in God. There was still a degree of respect for the church. We were the home team then, right? But that's not the case anymore. You see, we live in a culture now where the church is looked down upon by our culture. In fact, if you claim to be a Bible believer, and I believe that this word is without error, if you claim to be a Bible believer, the culture today will tell you that you are old-fashioned, that you are outdated, that you are antiquated, and that it's foolish for you to believe what the Bible says. In fact, they would say because you're a Bible believer that you're dangerous. Let me tell you something. Believing in the Bible is dangerous. Because, you see, God's Word has the ability to transform, to change, to restore, to renew. But that's not what our culture sees. So when we claim that we stand on the promises of God, they think that we are, 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 are silly, that we are foolish, that we are uneducated. They don't understand the tenets of faith and trusting God and taking him at his word. You see, the culture has changed dramatically. Church culture has changed even within the church. We've seen a change in culture at Kentucky Christian University. When I was a student there, most of the folks who came to school there came to school there as Christians. But now we have a lot of students on our campus that come and they're not Christ followers when they show up. Praise the Lord, we baptized 14 of them last year during the school year. Thankful for that. You see, the culture all around us is changing. And so we strive, we, we get on our guard because we recognize that it's important to impact the community, but to recognize we have to be counter the culture that we live in. So what you do here every Sunday when you come and proclaim the goodness of God, the world's not sharing this message. We have to share this message. And so I encourage you, be on your guard. Recognize that, that we're in a battle. One of, one of the things that troubles me about Christians is I believe a lot of Christians don't recognize that we have an enemy and that we're in a fight, that we're in a daily battle. Have you heard that saying, opportunity knocks once? Have you heard that? I heard it this way. Opportunity knocks once, but temptation leans against the doorbell, right? That there's constantly, we're being tempted and we're being attacked and we're going through situations where the enemy is, he's fighting every day. The problem is, is we act like we're not in a fight, it's kind of like we're trying to sell ice cream cones in the middle of a battlefield. That we believe that there's really no war going on around us and everything's nice. And if something a little bit goes off track, we, our world falls apart. You, if, if, a little, if a little trouble comes your way and you fall apart over that little bit of trouble that comes your way, it's probably because you don't understand that you're already in a fight. We've got to recognize that the enemy is working hard. So because of that, Paul says this. He says, be on your guard. Then he says, stand firm in the faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Stand firm in the faith. I love the words that God has for Joshua back in the Old Testament book of Joshua. If you're familiar with the account in Joshua chapter 1, uh, Joshua chapter 1, uh, Moses has died. And now Joshua has been given the reins of leading the children of Israel. Not only leading them, 
but leading them into the promised land because they'd been waiting for 40 years because of their disobedience 40 years earlier. We talked about this in Sunday school class up here this morning. Um, and uh, and, and that, that, that Joshua was given the instruction. God is giving Joshua a pep talk. Think about it. Think about Joshua's all of a sudden this responsibility, this mantle of responsibility that's thrust upon him. And in verse 5, God says this to Joshua. He says, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave nor forsake you. And then he says this, verse 6, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you will be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always, he says, always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, and then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So God is telling Joshua, I'm going to be with you. Here's what you need to be, strong and courageous. And then he gives them this instruction. He says, be strong and courageous in the word of the law. Don't depart from it to the right or to the left. You see, they had the Old Testament law. Uh, Moses was the lawgiver. And what he's saying to Joshua is this, you take the law and you walk the line. You see, we're called to walk the line when it comes to the word of God. He says, don't depart from it to the right or to the left. Be, but, but it takes strength and courage to stand firm on the word of God. Remember the words of Jesus about the wise and foolish builder? The foolish man built his house upon the sand, but the wise man built his house upon the rock. And when the storm came to test the houses, the house that was built upon the sand, which I would call modern culture, that house was washed away. But the house that was built upon the rock, Jesus Christ and the word of God, that house stood the test of the storm. So stand firm in your faith. Recognize the importance of, of being faithful to the word of God. We live in a time and a day where, where, where churches are falling by the wayside. In fact, it's estimated globally that uh, in the next couple of decades that 106 million people will leave Christianity. And the majority of them aren't leaving Christianity for another religion. They're becoming that group that's called unaffiliated non-religious we live in a secular world and a secular culture so we as god's people have to be on guard and we need to stand firm in the faith make sure that you are standing firm because we are in a fight and then paul says he says be on guard stand firm in the faith and he says be courageous and be strong we just read the passage of god telling joshua to do that in joshua chapter one that, that we need to be courageous we need to be strong it, recognizing that we're in a fight uh, it, there there is no soldier who goes to war who goes into battle half-hearted you've got to go into battle wholehearted right but we've got to recognize that we're in a fight. In fact, Paul tells Timothy, his, the, word we, the, the, the fellow we get the word Timothy from when we talk about young people going into ministry, Paul tells Timothy, who he's mentoring in the faith, he says to him in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, he says, Fight the good fight of faith. 
Take hold of eternal life for which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says to Timothy, Timothy, you've got to fight the good fight of faith. We've got to fight the good fight of faith. This community needs you fighting. Your family needs you to fight. We need to fight the good fight of faith. How many of you like musicals? Just go ahead and raise your hand if you like a, music, a good musical. Go ahead. Okay. How many of you don't like musicals? Yeah, me, me too. My, my problem with musical, my family, they do this to me. They'll say, let's watch this show. Not tell me it's a musical until we get into it because they know I don't like musicals. Because to me, if you can say it, why well, say it instead of sing it, right? If you can just say it, say it. Maybe that's why I'm a preacher and not a singer, right? Just say it, don't sing it, you know? Uh, but, but there is one musical that I saw several years ago as a play that has stuck with me because one song in the middle of the play is the play Shenandoah. Maybe you remember the old movie Jimmy Stewart did years ago, Shenandoah. It's about a family that was living right at the beginning of, of the Civil War. And it was a, a father who had a bunch of sons. And he wanted to keep his sons out of the conflict. And it's just, just impossible to do it. And in the, in the play, in the musical, there is a song in the middle of the play that I really like. In fact, I can remember most of the words to the song to this very day. The song is, next to loving, I like fighting best. I like that. Here's, here's one of the lines. Next to getting me a kiss, I like making me a fist. Next to loving, I like fighting best. I can sing that song right there. I can go with that because there's just something about, about that fighting part. I don't get too many kisses, but that fighting part. You know, as, as, as believers in Jesus Christ, we've got to recognize that we're called to fight. Go ahead and make a fist. Go ahead, make a fist. Just to remind yourself, if you want to, put it under the nose of the person sitting next to you if they need it. Don't punch them, just let them my, my mom had a bunch of brothers and my, my uncles never came in and hugged on me as a little kid. They never came in and picked me up and put me on their shoulders. What they would do when they came into the room where I was is they'd make a fist and they'd put it under my nose and they'd say, smell this, boy. I was scared to death of those guys, right? Because they were always making fists. Listen, as, as followers of Jesus, we should scare the enemy. But if we're not fighting, we're not very scary. I like what Paul says in 2 Timothy we believe, scholars believe, that this is the last letter that Paul writes and that we have recorded in the New Testament. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, and this statement here is one of the reasons we believe this. In verses 6, 7, and 8, he says this. He, he's, he's nearing the end of his life. He says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. And then he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul says at the end of his life, I've been faithful. I've been faithful because I kept fighting. And I kept running the race. And I kept the faith. I've been faithful. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you, be faithful. Be courageous, be strong, be in the fight. Now, the last point I want to make is this. Paul says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith. Uh, he says, be courageous, be strong. And then he says, do everything in love. This is how we fight. We've been talking about fighting, right? Now I'm telling you how we fight. We do everything in love. Scripture teaches us that the world will know that we are his, that we are Christians 
by our love, that we do everything in love. Many of you may be aware of that famous passage of scripture. We call it the love chapter in the book of 1 Corinthians. Right in the middle of this letter of discipline, Paul has to remind them of what love looks like. And if you've ever been to a wedding, or maybe you had this, some of these verses read in your wedding, uh, we're reminded of what love looks like, this agape, this unconditional love of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8 say this, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It keeps no, I'm sorry, it is not self-seeking and it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. I always read that one twice. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. I heard a preacher once suggest an exercise that we should do as, as Christians to see how well we're doing when it comes to doing everything in love. He said, what you do is you read this passage, this, this passage I just read, and you take out the word love and you replace the word love with your name and you use that to judge on just how well you're doing when it comes to doing everything in love. So for the sake of the drill, we're gonna do this, but I'll just put my name in it, okay? But when you hear my name, please feel free to slide your name in as we read through this because this will help indicate to you just how well you're doing when it comes to doing everything in love. Here's how it reads. Doug is patient. Doug is kind. He does not envy and he does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking and he is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. Doug does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And let me remind you, love never fails. So that, that exercise, it, it, it helps me recognize that I still have room to grow in the love of Jesus. Because the truth is, I'm not always patient or kind. I fall short in some of these areas. But I do understand that if I'm going to be engaged in the fight for the souls of men and women, for the souls of people that I love, for my own soul, I must lead with love. This is how we fight the good fight. We do everything in love. Paul writes later in that chapter that we have faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these virtues is love. You see, my faith and my hope are pretty personal to me. And you can see my faith and, and see my hope and be impacted by that. But when I'm loving you, I'm directly advancing the gospel of Jesus into your life. Love is something that I do outwardly, where the other two are something I really do inwardly. And maybe that's what makes it the greatest of these. So let me encourage you, my family here at Locust Grove, Fight the good fight. Let the light of Jesus shine through you in this dark world. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. A city on the hill cannot be hidden, and neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the room. So in the same way, let people see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. When I was a freshman, and I'm going to hush right now, I, I'm that clock... I want to tell you that clock's a little off. One of these two clocks are off. 
Now, I don't know if you know this, Rob, or not, but this clock up here is faster than that one right there. So just ignore both of them real quick. When I was a freshman at, uh, at KCU, when I went there at KCC, uh, I had an opportunity to buy what they called the $1 Bible. It was a, it was a Bible that uh, some, some booksellers forgot, to, the, the publishers forgot to put maps in the back of. And so instead of selling it at a Christian bookstore for $50, they shipped them off to Bible colleges and let Bible college students buy them for $1 because the maps weren't in the back. And so I bought a $1 Bible. Jill was also a freshman. We were dating. She bought a $1 Bible as well. And then we got married and started housekeeping together. And she just kind of put hers on the shelf. She was using another Bible. But I was wearing my $1 Bible out. I took it everywhere. I, I, every sermon I heard, I was writing notes in the margins. I was flipping through it. It was in every class. I took it to church camp. I took it to church camp so often it started smelling like church camp. I mean, my Bible went with me everywhere I went. I loved my $1 Bible. Well, Jill has two younger sisters, and they were preteens at this time. And since she wasn't using her Bible, we gave her Bible to her sisters to use. But after a couple of years of that, I was wearing mine out. I thought, man, that would be good to have that one as a backup, the one we gave to her sisters. And so we had this idea we would buy her sisters their own Bible for Christmas that year, put their name, print their name on the front of the Bible, you know. And so we did that under the contingency that they give that one I gave, we gave them back so I could have it. And so that happened. I got it back. One day I was flipping through their $1 Bible and I noticed in the very back cover they had printed their names in the back as people do when they have a book. And, uh, and what they had written over in the back, of, back cover of their Bible was owners, Cindy and Eva. The problem is they'd misspelled the word owners. Instead of spelling the word O-W-N-E-R-S, they spelled it O-W-E-R-S. You see, when it comes to Jesus, we don't own anything, do we, church? But we owe everything. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here and how they've been a blessing to me and how they've been partners to me, Lord, in any ministry that I've been able to be a part of because of Locust Grove. I thank you, Lord, for them, and I ask that you would continue to bless them. Lord, pray right now that if there's anybody here that needs to make a decision for Jesus, that they would come and do that now in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing second and fourth verse of Why Do You Wait? If you would, if you have a decision to make, today is the, the time, the, the hour of your salvation is, is now to accept Christ as Lord and Savior. If you have a decision to make or a rededication, would you come as we stand in the second, fourth, first, 360, why do you wait? 